We love Convoy of Hope. What a great ministry. It's good to partner with them. Good morning, Freedom Center. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we're going to start with verse 8 here today. And good morning, live stream. Good morning, Grand Blanc Campus. Good morning, our radio audience. Good morning to people that are listening to this in the evening 10 years from now. Good morning to all. It's good to see the room fill up, isn't it? I, I told Dina, if we just get more elves, you know, if we build it, they will come. They will come. So uh, the series that we're, we're, we're in right now is talking about miracles, and I do want to kind of start off talking about what do we do when you pray for a miracle and, and what we ask God for didn't come to pass. How many of you guys ever had that experience before? If you haven't had that experience, you're just really new to the faith or you don't have any, um, and there's a purpose, there's a reason, there's something God can do. And we allow him to do what only he can do in moments like this. So we're going to be looking at that today. Um, but I just want to say this. I, I want to echo what Dina said. We do believe in miracles. And, and it isn't because we're so good. It's, as a matter of fact, I, I'm keenly aware of my lack when it comes to the miraculous. But at the same time, how many of you guys know I, I, my lack comes from comparison to something? My, my comparison to what the New Testament says my, my comparison to what Jesus has promised, my comparison to my contemporaries, so many people that I know that pray routinely for miracles and see them draws me to the conclusion that God is good and I got to figure out kind of how to m- make this happen, how to grow in this grace, how to ask more boldly. So I do believe in miracles. How many guys believe in miracles? I don't, I don't think about the apostolic age and the Bible. Yeah, but I, we see miracles throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of history, and throughout even the story of this church is filled with the miraculous. So not only do I believe in miracles, I believe that we're to be saturated in the environment that nothing is impossible for God. If we're going to build a culture, I love that it's a generous culture. I love that it's a forgiving culture. I love that it's a, a gracious and kind and loving and friendly culture. How many of you guys know people need all of that and they need miracles? They, they need God to show up supernaturally in moments. So Jesus is stuff like this. Um, you know, he taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Will be done, kingdom come. He taught us that we would do greater works than he has done. That's a promise to us to pursue. I love in, in the end of uh, the Gospel of John, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am now sending you. So this morning, let's just start at the very beginning. I never want to assume that people are like out in, in, in you know, nine out of ten. I want to begin with everybody's kind of a zero out of ten. Does that make sense? So where, where's the culture? Where do miracles come from. And to do this, I think we have to go back to the earliest teachings of Jesus beginning to tell people this is how the kingdom obeys, this is how the kingdom lives, this is how the kingdom propagates. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount, specifically in the Beatitudes. And here we are at Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, where Jesus says this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I knew it'd be quiet, because whenever the promises and power of God are attached to the purity of my heart, I go, well, that's probably for somebody else. And that wasn't, I got one giggle in that room and it kind of went, oh. Like, like that, that thought that, oh, this isn't coming upon me. Like God's willing to do what he will do if I will be something that I've never been in my life and yet seem to be required to before I get to do this. So only Mother Teresa gets to see miracles. Only the saints get to see miracles. Hear me, saints. It is not predicated on, on the, the holiness of a human heart. I will show you in Scripture where people that have unholy hearts get to see the Holy Spirit move in holy ways. But, but I also want to say this, that I think if we understand what he's actually saying here, we have to go a little bit deeper in the original language. So pure here, blessed are the pure at heart. It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean holy. What does it mean? The word pure, the Greek word, I didn't put it down because I can't pronounce it. You don't remember it and nobody cares. But I feel smarter when I have it up there. So at the humble day that it is, pure means this. It means to be pruned, refined, 
that which comes through a process that makes it come to its full potential. Everybody say process. When Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, what he's saying is that there's a certain type of heart that has been through a certain pruning. Things that bore no fruit have been stripped away. Things that were unrefined. Things that were, it was gold, but it was mixed with dirt. They've been melted. They've been through a hellish experience. And what has come out the other side of that, if it stood the test of faith, stuff has been separated from it that has no worth, produces no fruit. So what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God? Is he talking about with their eyes? Is he talking about in heaven someday? Is he talking about metaphorically, you know, hey, there's a leaf. Well, leaves are from God. There I've seen God. And the word see here means this. It means to perceive. I love this. To behold. We still get it. Look at this last one. To become acquainted with by experience. Blessed are people whose hearts have been through things that have stripped away lesser, dead-end, cul-de-sac theologies, uh, country-western positive thinking. Well, you know, sometimes when the Lord wants the sheep to move across the river, he'll take a little lamb and put him on his shoulders and carry him across the river. It's like, I've seen people try to explain tragedy with theology. I just know that the Bible says when it comes to tragedy, it's just grieve with those who grieve. I'm going to make this all better. I'm going to give you a country western song and everything's going to go away. You won't miss grandma anymore. It's never happened in the history of human language. But, but what we can do is understand some things. I, I remember when I would pray and things wouldn't happen, or I'd, I'd pray things wouldn't happen and they did. I would go down this cul-de-sac where I'd say, God, if you were good and if you were there and why didn't you and where were you? And how many of us know that, that if you're really going to walk in faith, and by faith I mean you're going to walk in an ongoing trusting relationship with Jesus, there are some roads that are just dead ends. You can go down to the cul-de-sac and spin around 100 times, but at the end of spinning around 100 times, you're no farther down the road. And so sometimes, again, if we're going to have a peace that passes all understanding, we are going to have to sometimes relinquish our right to understand. And I say, but I want to understand. I do too. We're talking about peace right now. We're talking about trust right now. And so Jesus says, says this, uh, and Peterson transliterates this in the message translation, I think, really well, where he takes the, the purifying process of stripping away and the seeing through really experiencing God. And he says it this way, you're blessed when you get your inside world, which is your mind, your heart, what you see, and how you process what you see put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. So the process of purification in Scripture. I'm going to show you a bunch of examples. I hope that we, can we just be honest today? Is that okay? I, I, I don't think we're a church that puts on a lot of pretense. The pastor wears blue jeans and the exact same vest every Sunday. I think we're okay, right? You say, what, do you really like that vest? No, I don't have to suck in my stomach until spring. I, I and sweatshirts are too casual, but I, I would just like, like, think about this, guys. Like, it's okay to be confused when we're following Jesus because everybody who followed Jesus in the Bible sooner or later is confused, it's okay to have questions that aren't answered because everybody who follows Jesus in Scripture has questions that go unanswered. So we're going to look at some of these instances, but I, what I want you to do is this. We're focusing in on how, how, how is it God's going to remove the impurities from my faith, the things that have no value, the, the, the thoughts that I had that aren't true, the, the parts of me that want to follow Jesus because I want him to do what I want him to do, but if he doesn't do what I want him to do, I won't follow him anymore. How do we melt that away? How do we strip those branches that produce no fruit? How do we put dead end signs at the beginning of the street so we don't go down and just spin around and get nowhere in our faith? Most of the purification process I see in the New Testament between Jesus and his followers begins with being offended. And, and if you're going to be really honest, you, you might have been that honest with God at one point or another. I just want to be honest with you. I'm kind of ticked. I'm kind of hurt. 
I'm kind of disillusioned. The faith I had in you, you did not perform. Like, I mean, the genie in Aladdin does better work than you did. He, he did what Aladdin asked. I asked you, you're more powerful, and you did nothing. I don't get it. But understand this, guys. Old Testament and New Testament, this is one of the biggest lessons we see throughout Scripture. This is the wilderness for 40 years. This is rebuilding of Jerusalem. This is, this is most of David's life. The Psalms of David are, my life is bad, my enemies are prospering, you're nowhere to be found, this all stinks, but you're still God, amen. Am I right? So if you're in this place right now where you look at you know, Mark Hubbard, who passed away this week, Papa Nome, the guy with the beard that was just Santa on steroids, he was more Santa than Santa. He sat outside in that lobby and blessed countless kids. His, his son and daughter-in-law are missionaries of our church in China. Uh, his wife is just, just such a dear person. Like, how many of you guys know when we pray, it's almost like someone deserves a miracle more than another person. You ever felt that way? Like if God's going to heal anybody, it's going to be Mark Hubbard. So what do we do with that when Dave Carlton's not here, Dave Alger's not here, Mark Hubbard's not here? What do we do with that? I, I think it's okay to say what we do is we go to God and say, I don't understand. How many of you know that when you say that to God, God doesn't go, oh, you're the first person to ever say that to me? I mean, I understand. If you're teaching a kid, oh, this is a terrible example. It's just coming to me. I haven't had time to flesh it out, and yet words are coming out of my mouth. When you potty train a kid, there's, there's going to be some cleanups on aisle three. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of what we're going through, but understand this. We're not going to get this right the first time, and that's part of the process. Faith is good. Belief is good. But there's a difference between faith and tested faith. What I believe untested is my theology. What I believe tested is something even the devil can't take away from me because I trust, I believe, I know, I've experienced, I've seen God. I know who he is. So let, let me show you what this looks like. You guys doing good? Book of Mark, chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Jesus speaking, hey, fellas, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also some other boats with him. A furious squall. I, I don't know why I picture my mother-in-law angry with me. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus, what is he doing? He's taking a nap in the back of the boat on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him what? Read it with me. Teacher, come on, don't you, we have a problem. Is the problem the storm? No, actually, the storm's not the problem, the storm's the teacher. But the teacher's about to reveal the problem. Here's the problem. You don't care about us. That's what we believe about you. In this moment, we believe when we got in the boat you cared about us, but now there's a storm that's about to kill us, and our faith has changed that you're, you're a good man, you're a miracle man, you're a smart man, you might be the Messiah man, but in the middle of a storm, man, you're no good. So my faith in you on dry land is different than my faith in you at sea. Does this make sense? And so they're, they're, it's being tested in a different way. The disciples woke up and said, the problem is you don't seem to care about us. Jesus got up. Did he rebuke the disciples? No, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, you kids, settle down. Don't make me pull this boat over. And then the wind died down. It was completely calm, and he said to his disciples, here's the problem. Why are you so afraid? And, and it's not like, why are you so afraid? It's like, take, take a minute. This is a lesson. It didn't come to kill you. It came to build you. Now, let's debrief our failures to find out where we're lacking so we can grow. Why are you, what is it about? What are you so afraid of? And not only does he ask them the right question, he actually gives them the answer to the next question. Do you still have no, 
See, the problem is not how big the storm is. The problem is how big I am in your eyes. You thought that the storm was bigger than I am, and only through going through a storm that's bigger than you are do you get to discover that I'm bigger than the storm. I love the reaction. They were at peace. They said, oh, we get it. We'll never doubt again. No, verse 35 or verse 41, they were terrified. So this didn't make it better, by the way. If you're going through something, something right now, my answers to you, the Bible, it may not be making things better, but, but in 30 years of following Jesus, I believe this to be a truth that needs to be known whether you're in a storm today or not. Because if you're not in a storm today, let me tell you something about following Jesus. He's going to say, get in the boat. That's the way it works, right? Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. See, the problem is, hear me, they had fishing faith. They had go out in the boat faith. They had go out in the boat at night to go fishing faith. They didn't have go out in the boat in the middle of the night in a storm faith. And so Jesus not being content with leaving them where they are is going to lead them to a place they never dreamed of being in their trust for him. How do you get to be someone who can move mountains? You, you, you move hills, and then you move foothills, and then you move little mountains, and then you go to the Blue Ridge, and then you go to the Rockies, and then you go to Everest. How does that happen? Because God keeps putting us in the place where our faith will fail us so that we can discover there's more of him to discover. God will place us in a place where our faith fails us. I, I'm trying to see you because it's so quiet. I got, I got a nodding head over here, but I can't tell if that's little Cromer falling asleep or what is, what is that? No? God will put us in a place where our faith fails us. Why? Because God wants us to fail? No. The only way we get greater faith is by finding the limits of our existing faith. God will put us, God will allow. God doesn't send hard times, but he's not the light at the end of the tunnel. He's the light in the tunnel in our hard times. He will allow us to go through things that are bigger than what we've ever had to face before. Remember when $10 was a trial of your faith? And then it was $100? And then it was a $1,000 mortgage payment? And then it was a $10,000? And then you went to school and got really smart? Now you're $100,000? Right? I can prove to you that the problem is not the storm. The problem is they look at their Savior and they say, the problem is you don't care. They don't, they don't know him the way they do. So here, their hearts, wouldn't, their, their hearts weren't pure. Remember what pure means. It's not that they weren't holy. They didn't obey the Sabbath. They were murdering people, committing adultery and lying and bearing false witness. They weren't breaking Ten Commandments. The problem was there were still parts of them that believed things that weren't more true than what Jesus was now going to teach them. That was about to be stripped away. They got into a boat not believing Jesus was Lord of the storms. They're going to get to the other side of the lake and believe that he can calm anything. But between one end of the lake and the other end of the lake, there was a hellish situation that was greater than they were. They tested them to the core in front of each other. I, I, men don't mind being tested, but we don't, don't want to be tested in front of each other. Now, if you've ever been fishing with 12 guys, you know you don't want to be tested in front of the other 11 because they're like piranhas. Any drop of blood hits the water, the other 11 jump on the one victim, and we laugh at them, and we get laughed at, and then you're just waiting for somebody else to, to fall out of the boat so we can make fun of them, and you're off the hook. And we've been fishing with people like that. Mike Miller, I saw you earlier today. I've been fishing with that, right? I'm just saying, when, when we understand this, God is with us in a storm. Their hearts weren't pure. They, they, had, they weren't pure enough for this, so they didn't see God. Instead, they saw what they believed to be his absence, his lack, his lack of engagement, his inability. Jesus calms the storm because the storm was the, the teacher, not the executioner. And they realized who Jesus is in a greater way. The storm was the servant 
and not the master. Let me show you this again. You guys doing all right? John chapter 6, verse 25. And by the way, we could do this all day. I've got three examples. Here comes number two. When they found him on the other side of the lake, this is Jesus. He just fed a bunch of people and walked on water in the middle of the lake and got into the boat, gets to the other side. They're, they're going through something. They're mourning. They're exhausted. They get to the other side, and then people had walked around and met him when they landed. And so they're there like saying, hey, when did you get here, right? Because he'd fed them uh, 5,000 people ate, and they're hungry again. They're following Jesus, but they're following him. Let me just say this. They have faith for Jesus to make bread, but is Jesus just there to make bread? So they're going to be tested. Here we go. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Like, oh, we just ran into you. We've been searching for you because we're hungry again is what it is. When did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Then Jesus declared, and we're skipping around a little bit. This is verse 35 now. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Skip down to verse 53. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Next verse, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. How many guys are having a theological issue at this point? But, but can you see what he's doing? Come on, children of God, follow me. He's putting them in a position. We trust you for bread. Okay, and I, I'm, I'm glad that I fed you and I'm glad that you were full and I'm sorry you're hungry, but I didn't feed you so I could be Mr. Breadman. I'm not Wonder Bread. I'm the bread of life. Like, I, I did that to get your attention so you'd ask deeper questions, so your faith would grow. So you have faith that I can make you lunch, but you have no faith that I can make you who my father made you to be. In order to get you from where you are to where you are next, your faith, your existing faith, has to fail you. And so I say to you, eat me. <laughs> and they go, what did he say? I, did he say? I think he said. So this is what happens. On hearing it, Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this, there's that word, does this what? Offend you? And from this time on, man, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. Did it offend them? Yes. Why? Because they didn't understand what he was doing, so they stopped following the bread maker. How many of you know Jesus is more than our bread maker? But he'll use bread or the absence of bread to reveal who he is when we are hungry, when we're at lack, when we're in need. I, it seems unloving. It seems unkind. And I would say this. I believe that is a rough process. The only thing rougher than the process of faith is the process of dying without it. And so God in his loving care for his children, getting us to see eternity in a temporal state, that, that we have this right to step into a covenant that will require everything of us so we can get everything that he is. They were there for the food. Jesus said, I'm not here to make you lunch. So what happened was their hearts weren't pure, so they didn't see God. Remember, blessed are the pure at heart, those who've been refined, those who've been through the fire, those who've had branches trimmed off to produce more fruitfulness, because they will see, they will experience God. Their hearts were impure, so they didn't see God. Instead, they saw what they believed to be his absence. There are quiet Sundays, and this is one. I'm not trying to be funny um, in the sense that I, you know, this will be a week where I stand over the grave of friends with their grieving families. I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make that your burden to bear, but I am trying to say this. It doesn't matter how much faith you have, sooner or later the faith you have fails you. 
And then you're left with this decision to follow this one that you don't trust the way you did yesterday because you've found him to be different than you thought he was. And, and by the time you strip it all down, it's not really about what he fed you. It's not really about what he said. It has to become about who he is. And I don't understand. You alone hold the words of life. I have no place else to go. I don't know why you're doing and not doing. I don't know why you're saying and not saying. I don't know why you're being and not being. All I know is you. So I will hold on to the you that I know. I'm going to share this one more time. You guys good? John the Baptist. How many of you guys agree John the Baptist has a decent heart? The guy eats bugs and lives in the desert for God. And he wears camel hair. Scratchy camel hair. So he's the real deal. Look at this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he says to everybody, can I have your attention, please, everybody? Look right here. The Lamb of God. Right there, you see him? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, ladies and gentlemen, my cousin Jesus. Let's give it up for him, right? This is the one I met when I said, a man who comes after me will surpass me because he was before me. What a riddle that is. I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed in Israel. And then John gave this testimony. Matter of fact, guys, let me just tell you the story. I saw the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself didn't know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain, he's the guy. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify this is God's chosen one. Woo! But then he gets arrested, and the man who lived in the expanse of the wilderness and had freedom untold, he only went where God sent him. He only ate what God provided. He only slept when he was tired. He only got up when he felt like it. He's not a U of M fan. He doesn't owe the IRS. There's no social media. He is alone in a vast wilderness with his holy God. And then he's arrested, and he's put in a dark, confining, shackled prison. How many of you guys know the pain will work on what you believe? Pain, grief, anger, pain will work on what you believe. Disappointment? Um, chronic pain, it'll work on what you believe. Depression, it'll work on what you believe. Confinement, confusion. So some theologians would say a year, some would say two years. It's, it's a discrepancy on whether there was four Passovers in the, in the narrative of the Gospels or three. But, it, but a year to two years, he's in this room. He only gets out when Harry goes, hey, come here, talk to me a little bit about this whole God thing. Oh, okay, yeah, go, go back to your cell. He never knew he was coming out, never knew he was coming back, but he's sleeping on rocks. He's eating bread and water. He's emaciated. He's got sores, and it's getting to him. And so let's skip from John chapter 1 to Matthew chapter 11. So a couple years later, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one? Who's to come? Or should we expect someone else? Can you hear the... T- I, could, I could make it more dramatic, but can you hear it? I, I, the Son of God, ladies and gentlemen, there he is. A year or two later, dude, are you... I, I knew it that day. The faith I had that day I thought was absolute and concrete, but I've been absolutely lying on concrete for the last year or two. And I, I don't know that I believe anymore. John the Baptist, I don't know that I believe anymore what I said that day. I, are you? or I mean, should we just be expecting somebody else? Because I thought it was going to be you, and this is what Jesus said. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Look at this last line. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble. 
because of what I do or don't do. But blessed, the really happy people, the ones that have a blessing, they're the ones that, that don't stumble when the narrative of their life is different than the narrative they'd hoped for. When I write the script, then it has more pain than they wanted, more confusion, more disappointment. If you really want to be happy, the joyous, those among us who have this great joyous peace are not those who command God to move mountains, but those who trust God no matter what the mountains do. Trust me. Just trust me. Now, again, remember the context. John's heart wasn't pure. Remember the word pure means here. Better heart than mine, better heart than yours. Jesus says, no greater man born of woman. You know, in the Old Testament, like, this is the guy, right? I know he's in the New Testament. He's an Old Testament prophet because the New Covenant hasn't happened yet. And he said, like, this is the guy, man. He, he thought a lot of John. But his heart wasn't, it didn't have what he needed for the prison cell. It had what it had for the wilderness and the bugs and the camel hair. But his heart really struggled in that confined, dark, hopeless, out of control. Everybody else tells me, what to, I don't know what to do. Like, what am I going to do here? His heart wasn't pure, so he didn't see God. Instead, he saw what he believed to be God's absence. Brett, join me if you would, please. Um, piano girl. Uh, I, I, quick story. You guys good? I have eight more minutes before we bless 270 kids with Christmas. 280 kids. I'm evangelistic. 947 children. Um, I remember we were in Bible college when we discovered that we were going to have a baby. We went to the, the county health clinic thing because we couldn't even afford a pregnancy test. So we went there and got the free test. And uh, Dina uh, Wiglard, and I went with her, and, and the woman looked at me like, what are you doing here? I'm like, husband, bring jewelry. And she's like, do you want him here? And she's like, yeah, he's my husband. Do you want him here? Not is he? like, I want him here. Okay, all right. She, she said, it's positive. And I said back, in whose opinion? What, what, is that, what does that mean? <laughs> and she didn't even look at me. She said, it means you're going to have a child. You're, you're pregnant. You're... And I, I said to her, I said, how did this happen? And then she looked at me. It's not, it's not what I meant. So she's sicker than a dog. We're in Bible college. We took out student loans because my GI Bill wouldn't, wouldn't cover Christian training. If I wanted to be an atheist, the army would pay for that. But I wanted to be a pastor, and we don't need those. Separation of church and stupidity. And, and I, I'm sorry. Am I bitter? Maybe. Maybe. But, I, but I, I mean, we're broke, and we have a $128 car payment. It's a Nissan pickup truck, plum-colored, inky rims, tinted windows, and it's bad. 127 bucks. And it came time for the payment, and Dina's like, we don't have money. I'm like, I know, but God will provide. Remember, remember who she married? A vagabond kid, you know, living in a car, uh, homeless, but in, but in a Huckleberry Finn sort of way, not in an orphan Annie way at all. And almost because I always had homes. I just didn't want to go to them. I just, I got to live in my car and be Mowgli and be raised by wolves. And it was fun, you know? And I, and I, I so God's going to provide, God's going to provide. And I'm telling her this and I'm like, God's going to provide. Like, like, right? Like, this is my faith. You've always paid my bills. I only need $12,000 a year to live. So it's not like I'm bankrupt in heaven here. So throw me a bone. Let me find a nugget. Just, you know, a part-time job for a couple hours a week. That, that's plenty. So God here, and I'm telling my wife, don't worry, God's got this. Don't worry, God's got this. And let's say it was due on the 15th, and it's the 13th, God's got this. 14th, God's got this. 15th comes and goes, and nothing's happened. No jobs, no work, no money. 16th rolls around. She's like, what are we going to do? I, uh, I've never been here before. I don't, I don't know. 17th. 
I don't know, 18th, 19th, 20th. Jim, they're not going to get our truck. We only have one vehicle. We're in the, we need to get a job. We need to, I'm pregnant. We don't have any insurance. We don't, 21st, 20, what's next? Uh, 22nd, 23rd, right? And by this time, my faith in God in this matter has been proven to be insufficient for the task before me. And so I say to God as a loving son, I, I am mad at you. You're making me look dumb in front of my wife. I mean, she believes in me. And yet, we can't make a car payment. So here's the deal. I'm done. Ministry, out. Bible college, forget it. I got a kid. I got a wife. If you won't provide for them, then I will. How many of you guys can hear just the orphan in that, right? My faith failed. How do I know? Because I, I assumed... <laughs> I assumed that, that he would do something, and when he didn't, it failed. Finally, on like the 20-somethingeth, uh, we get a check in the mail from my unbelieving grandfather, Grandpa Olson. He had face cancer, uh, and so his tongue was removed, and he talked funny. So I say, I did Jim. I'm like, I didn't get that, Grandpa. <laughs> How you doing, Jim? Oh, okay, I got it, you know? Well, he ends up, uh, he's not a believer, he's an alcoholic, he's, he fought, like he, he bloodied people in the nursing home. He walks into my, my mom and dad's place and he says, I want to do something for Jim. I'm, I want to send him some money. This is the guy that was so cheap when he wanted to mail a letter, he went to my parents' house to use their stamps. Oh, okay, dad, you feeling all right? You taking your medicine? Yeah, I just, I want to I bless him. Well, what, what do you want to do? I, $200. So he sent me a check for $200. It arrived, I said, honey, check for $200. Maybe you came to me, I remember, it was like $200. God's heard our prayer. Isn't it wonderful? I said, well, it's late, but maybe there's a late fee. She called and said, there's no late fee here within the grace period. And the last day that payment could have been made, it was made. And we didn't miss a single payment or a single day. Now, here's the point. The check was already in the mail from my unbelieving grandfather while I was complaining about God not taking good care of my family. What's my problem? My heart wasn't pure. Remember what the word pure means. So I didn't see God. And so what I saw was what I believed to be the lack of God. Back to our scripture. Blessed. So blessed. So blessed. By the pure at heart. Who don't need a genie. They need a God who's smarter, wiser, kinder, truer, more loving. Blessed are those who don't don't need to get it to trust him. They just trust him. This week as a church, we mourn the loss of some of the greatest men we've ever known. Why did that happen, Jim? What was God doing? Why didn't God? I, guys, I don't know. I've been doing this long enough to say I don't know. Used to, I used to say I know, and I did a bunch of country western stuff. You know, why isn't God healing? Why isn't God doing? Where are the miracles? This, this is what I know. The lifestyle of the miraculous begins with the stripping away of, of lesser things we call faith that becomes the impenetrable trust in the one. And when we trust him, understand this, I don't, I don't know what John the Baptist's last thoughts were. I hope they weren't, what? Herod's stepdaughter does a hoochie mama dance for him and I get my head cut off? I mean, it seems like an improper ending to a great story and a great man's life. I, I hope that our last thought won't be, well, thanks for nothing. But, but I, can I also say this? Faith is not what we use to get what we want from God. Faith is what we use when we don't get what we want from God. 
And if you feel all alone and God doesn't understand, can I remind you of some of the final words of Jesus on a cross? My God, my God. I can't feel you. Why have you forsaken me? Now, let me say this. I believe that Jesus is being tempted in that moment just like we're being tempted in this one. And it isn't because of feelings that he continues to believe. It's because of trust, regardless of what he feels. Because I promise you, his body doesn't feel anything good. His soul doesn't feel anything good. And his spirit doesn't feel anything good. So what does he do? He just decides to hold on to the hand of his father, even if he can't feel his hand. And I'm telling you, as an older man, if I'm speaking to younger people or as a middle-aged man, if you're over 60 and you want to believe you're middle-aged, you're going to believe to be 130, you know what I mean? Or, or, but I, I'm, I'm speaking to you like from a lifetime of experience of standing over coffins of children that were tortured to death, killed in train accidents, alcoholism, disaster, destruction, earthly garbage. Let me just say this to you. The only way you can continue to do it is to not be there for the loaves and the fish and the feelings and the goosebumps and, and the make sense and the always make sense. You're there because, because there's just this, this knowing that though I don't know, I know that God knows. There's this believing that though I, 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 my faith has failed me, I don't, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. God, God isn't upset by my accusation of his character. It's an opportunity for my character to grow in an expectation of something, something more true, something more real. If I prayed every time and the miracle took place, I'd be happier than anybody I know. But honestly, it's, I hate to even give it statistics. How many times out of how many times does a miracle happen? I don't know. I know this though. But if I allow God to strip away lesser things I call faith, I'll see him. I'll see him today. I'll see him tomorrow. I'll see him at the funeral. I'll see him in the COVID ward. I'll see him in the bankruptcy court. I'll see him in the marriage counseling session. I'll see him when times are good. I'll see him when times are bad. Why? Because I am looking for him. And when I look for him in all my circumstances, I find him. Blessed are you you're pure in heart because you'll see him you'll find him Father in these closing moments let us not just use faith as this tool to get what we want but in these horrible agonizing times where our faith fails us when it's insufficient to the storm that we're in when our faith fails us when everything I believe turns out not to be believable because of the pain, the circumstances, the time, the prison cell, the sickness, the debt. If there's one thing in this world that's true, it has to be you. If there's one thing in our lives that's left, it has to be you. So we don't follow you because you make loaves and fish. We don't follow you because your words always make sense. We don't follow you because you're the one that's going to get us out of this prison cell. We follow you because you're God. And so we will trust you as such. We follow you because there's no one greater to follow. And I know, God, small faith becomes big. Mustard seeds become huge trees. I know that little things with your blessing become much. So we trust that we live in a day of miracles. We serve a God who answers prayer. I'm not here to make us comfortable with disappointment. I'm here to make sure we understand that there are disappointing times that we cannot that ask questions we can't answer. So in the end, we don't need an answer. We need a Savior. 
In the end, we don't need a healer. We need a Savior. In the end, we don't need a, a resurrector. We need a Savior. We, we need you. We need you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed today. You say, Jim, I, I'll be honest with you, man. It's been, a, it's been a weird season. It's been hard. I've gone through something. I'm going through something. And I realize, you know, if God just gave me loaves and fish, I'd be happy. But I, I wouldn't know him as anything more than the God who provides. And he's more. He becomes everything, even though he does nothing. Or in many ways, he's nothing, if that makes sense. And so you're here right now. You're like, I, I recognize that my hard times are not the evidence of God's absence. It's the evidence that a, an inferior faith is now being replaced with a superior faith. And so I, I, I don't welcome hard times. I don't welcome demonic and death. And I don't welcome that stuff. I'll fight it to the, the last breath I have. But through it all, man, today's just a day to trust Jesus. If that's you, you're here. Like, today's just a day to trust Jesus. I don't need answers today. I just need to trust Jesus. I don't need a storm to be calm. I just need to trust Jesus. I need to know why he said eat him. I, I just need to trust Jesus. If this is the solution that takes you to the next level of faith, you hear right now, you're like, you know what? I need this. Today, I, with, with an upraised hand to God, I just say, God, I trust you. If that's you, raise your hand right now to the Lord. Father, I just trust you. I don't need to know everything. I know you. You don't need to do everything. I know you. I, I, I will learn, I will grow, but I, in this moment right now to have peace, I just need to know, and I need you to know, I refuse to let go of your hand. Like Peter said to Jesus when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he said, where else would we go? Who else would we, would we go to? Who else would we listen to? It's, there's cul-de-sacs that go round and round and round, but we've got to come right back to the freeway of faith and, we, and get back on again and keep moving forward with no more answers than we had just to trust that the cul-de-sacs are dead ends and this is the way that leads to life. Our hands are raised today, God. You are our peace. You are our Father. You're our Savior. You're our God and you're good. If we know nothing else, we now know everything. I pray, God, that you would bless us with peace. Bless us with peace peace of your presence. Peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of Jesus. Bless us with your presence and we'll be at peace now, we pray. And Father, before we shift gears, for every unmet need, every sickness yet uncured, every problem yet unsolved, every need yet unmet, we pray to a miracle-working God heal and deliver and save and provide and astound the world with your power, your greatness, and your goodness. We're not done believing in miracles. We believe that you are a miracle-working God, and so we trust you with needs and mountains and stormy seas and hungry bellies. You are the God who heals and calms the storm and feeds the multitudes. We want you and in wanting you and knowing you, God, thanks for bringing your stuff. We'll take the stuff too. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Stand your feet all over this room. One last thing before you go. Turn to two or three people and say the following words. You look, you look thinner than last week. Try that one. Try that one. God bless you. You're dismissed.